welcome to Kiana's Conversations. I'm delighted to be able to welcome Benjamin Kayser to today's podcast. Benjamin's a colleague of mine at Kiana's, and by any measure, he is a remarkable human being. Today, he and I are going to explore the concept of strategic resilience. And I started off by asking him how he went about describing himself to people today. <laughs> I asked him if they have a minute. That's, that's sort of my first reaction. But um, no, thanks for having me, Don. I, I'm delighted to be here because this is this is more than just a, a subject. It's almost sort of, you know, the, the, the way that my, my heart beats and I... I'm, I'm at the moment transforming or shifting from 16 years of professional rugby that ended in, in June 2019 and resilience and then strategic resilience has been basically the, the biggest um, take learning curve um, that I can take into what I call the real world. You know, I was a little bit in my fantasy world for 16 years doing what I love, surrounded by amazing people, but it's, it's time to seriously start working. So the, the way that I would sum it up is that I... I um, my, my father was a, um, was a senior partner for McKinsey. He was a, a strategic consultant. And so we, we traveled quite a lot around the world, so always been particularly curious um, about other cultures, other countries, other ways of doing things. So we traveled, we, we lived in China, we lived in Hong Kong, we lived in, um, <clears throat> in Chicago, USA. That's where I learned my English. And that led me basically to discover rugby and a little bit in Hong Kong and go back at it as, as a young boy in Paris, falling in love with the cultures, with the, basically with the values and team spirits and, and resilience already at the time that I didn't know. But another set of hierarchy of, of braveness and courage that I absolutely adored and pushing that, mixing that with a competitive edge. And I just wanted to be the best at everything that I did, led me to a professional career. But really, I, I stumbled upon it, to be honest. I just wanted to be the best at what I could possibly do, um, and 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 do my best with with help, you know, as as much as I can, friends along the way, and collectively reach success. So, 16 years of professional rugby, I played in Leicester Tigers for two years, and I mainly played the rest. I was Parisian-born, started in Stade Français, but played the last 10 years in Clermont-Ferrand and finished in June 2019. And since then, um, I do a little bit of sort of media work, of commentary and punditry because I adore match day and, and rugby. Um, <clears throat> and I went back to the drawing board. So I, I went back studying. I'm, I'm finishing at the moment an executive MBA at the Said Business School of Oxford. Uh, really enjoying it. Um, a, a proper eye-opener on the full spectrum of what the w- corporate world can offer and much, much needed. Um, based, in, based in the UK, two beautiful little girls who are extraordinary and a lovely wife. So I'm blessed. Yeah, thank thank you. Uh, I'm I'm really interested if just we're going to explore resilience, but your background is different from most of us. You you know you you talk a lot about your 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 family and your upbringing, but that that experience as a child of travelling around the world, you know, you talked about Shanghai, you talked about living in the states. What what impact do you think that has had on you in terms of your own resilience? Because you do seem a very resilient individual. So, well, thank you, but um, it's definitely shaping me as, as a person with its ups and its downs, and I think that's the whole idea of resilience. Um, it's made me curious. It's made me um, sociable. It's made me adaptable. It's made me 
uh, empathetic because I, I like to make connections. I like to to dig deep into the, the sort of the human connections and the human emotions to actually um, connect with people on a, yeah on, on a heart level more than on an emotional level more than on an analytic way. Uh, and that's why rugby fitted so well with Al-Ali. It was the link between competition and heart, let's just say. Um, but there was also the question that I dreaded the most when I went back, when I came back, sort of, I was in high school and, and started going on my own, is where are you from? I was absolutely incapable of answering the question, where am I from? Don't get me wrong, there was absolutely zero shame in it. I was super proud of what I've done and the way that I learned English, and but I would almost hide it, you know? It was... Um, I knew that I was absolutely privileged to be surrounded by a family who encouraged me, who loved me, who pushed me to be curious and to learn more things. But at the same time, China, you know, is is, a bit the, is, is the other side of the world. It's, other, it's, it's, it's another planet for a lot of people. So there was also that resilience in terms of learn that you're going to have to get back up quite a few times. Yeah. Learn that uh, disappointment or not disappointment, but um, not succeeding at exactly connecting the way that you would want with people or having to leave and, you know, rebuild. It's just another learning curve. So from the start, there was a shift in my way of thinking or, or of assessing success and failure was more you win or you learn. And that was really engraved in me from the start. And I think that's why resilience basically stuck so tight with me. It was only, it was only 25 years later or maybe maybe even 30 years later, that anybody actually ever gave me the, the origin of the world resilience. And it was one of my rugby coaches who, who said that it came from a, a, almost like a, a chemical term. It was the faculty for metal to return to its solid state after an impact. And I love mm. that because yeah. I consider myself a, <laughs> a pretty solid piece of metal. <laughs> and, yes, and, 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 you know, but, but those hits will never break me. Mm. They will only make me, make me stronger. And then if you, if you add that with Wolf's Law, I think it's, it's another Oxford cohort member of mine who explained that one to me. And she's a, she's a surgeon and an orthopedic surgeon. And they were saying that it's the bone density, talking about bone density, basically. The more you stress muscles and you work them, the harder actually your skull and your, your, your skeleton and your bones get which is precisely the, def the human definition of re uh, resilience for me. It's not just in your mind. It's just, not just a psychological thing. Your body actually physically gets stronger and more resistant the more you strain it and the more you get back up every time. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, it, that reminds me of the whole idea of anti-fragile with uh, Taleb, the, the idea that actually going through challenging situations is not just returning back to normal. You actually come back even stronger. And that, that, sound, that sounds a bit like you. Now, the the challenge of moving from professional sport, which is a pretty secure, well-managed, well-planned environment, into into a world where things are much more uncertain. How how difficult has that proving to be, moving from that regimented environment into a much more, you know, flexible, uncertain environment in a sense? What what challenge is that? And that, that's a big challenge. Don't get me wrong. To be honest, I. I... I feel that's not the biggest challenge that I had whilst transitioning because even towards the end of my career, I've, like I said to you from the start, I've always been very curious, always wanted to do something else. Always was, it was always engraved in my head, maybe probably with the way that was my upbringing, 
that rugby was just going to be one extraordinary moment of my life. Enjoy it as much as you can, but it's almost not reality. Don't get me wrong, it's very hard. There's a lot of commitments, a lot of hours of training and suffering for just a few moments of, of happiness. That's basically what it is. But, but it's, um, it, it's not the real life, right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't having your normal 19-year-olds or, or 20-year-olds um, sort, of, sort of upbringing. So I knew that someday, at some point, that's why I kept on studying even while I was um, playing. That's why I always kept on investing in different little entrepreneurship projects while I was still playing, because I knew that someday, somehow, I was going to have to be back into the normal world. And so that flexibility, that um, interest to actually get out of the structure of rugby has always been there. So that that wasn't really so much the, the, the struggle. The struggle is I need to rediscover myself without the, without rugby. And, mm-hmm. and knowing who you are without rugby is, is a big one. Um, I think the number one step is to know all those things. And to be honest, I was I was very lucky to be able to retire a year earlier than I should have. Okay, maybe. But I did absolutely everything that I had to do. So there's mm-hmm. zero regrets in terms of uh, I, I could have won an extra title. I could have done this, could have done that. It's an impossible emotional decision to take when you're 25. If you're 35 like me, it was a no-brainer. I had to protect my body. So I, I, I stopped on my own terms. Um, on my own two feet with my jersey on my back you know I wasn't injured I was fresh and that was really important for me but the um, I, I had had some fantastic um, sort of not counseling but sort of <clears throat> um, help along the way just from some little warnings about transitioning and and they really really helped me so as long as you know where you're going and as long as you know and you acknowledge the challenges, again, resilience is, is resilience for me is also it's shifting your way of assessing or digesting or feeling about problems. Look for them. Don't hide away from them. You know, don't don't stick your head in the sand and, and hope for the storm to go to to go by. Look for the problems because they're not a learning opportunity. And so the same way, instead of being absolutely frozen inside, petrified about, oh, I'm going to stop rugby, whilst the last seasons of my career were going so well, and I, would jo- I was enjoying every single second of it, I was still looking for all the problems that were coming ahead so that I could prepare, so that I could um, already toughen myself uh, about them and, and, and hit the ground running. Yeah, now th- th- this, this, this leads really nicely into this concept of, strategic resilience that you you've been teaching me about um that that period in your you know you you were thinking forwards you were you were thinking way way beyond even as a 25 26 year old about that period and preparing yourself for that can can you lead us into this world of strategic resilience what what you're learning about it the key influences and then we'll start to explore how it maybe connects the world of sport into the world of business absolutely so <clears throat> The, maybe the number, the base is, is just to talk about um, the, the reason why I, my, my heart was so connected with it was resilience is that I'm, I'm very, very proud of what I've done in my rugby career. Don't get me wrong. But um, when you want to reach for the stars, when you want to seriously compete, when you set very, very high expectations, when you're just not there to, to win from time to time, when your sole purpose is to, is to collectively win all the time, then obviously there's going to be a few, few you know, bumps around the, on the road. And 
resilience was taught to me through, I'm the guy who lost the most European finals in the history of rugby. There's two ways of seeing it. <laughs> there's literally the way that I just said. <laughs> and there's also, and there's also <clears throat> how, many, how many guys went to six European finals at all? How many teams went to six European finals at all? And there was a proper mindset for me change. I thought after the second or third final that I lost, that I was entitled to be more disappointed than others. I thought that I was more in, that people should feel worse for me than for them after losing the fourth one or the fifth one. But it's a collective sport, Don. Yeah. I, I owed to my teammates the fact that we also reached the final the same way that they owed me for contributing. So there was no entitlement due for me to be more sad or less sad than anybody else within the team who contributed. If you lose one or you lose a hundred, it's different adventures, different feelings, different moments. So as soon as I shifted that mindset about saying, forget about you, it's about collectively winning something. And all of a sudden, we, I was lucky enough to win my sixth final. And that was a key moment in my life of saying, instead of feeling sorry for myself, what have I learned from all those finals? Instead of feeling sorry for myself, what can I actually project in the future to know that next time I, am I can guarantee you I will be stronger? Because my, my physically, my skull is getting, my, my skeleton is getting stronger. And I know that afterwards. It's, it's also the, you mentioned this, and there's a lot of things that click about the um, sort of the tacit and, is it tacit and implicit um, way of thinking? decision-making yeah. implicit and explicit yeah implicit and explicit and that really for me is it hit the spot on for the world of sport it's the guy who will throw a thousand who will kick a thousand balls a day and consider he's a good kicker but if you don't know what you're doing the day that it starts raining the day that you forgot to tie your shoelaces the day that you got in an argument in the morning with a bus driver some for some whatever reason then the guys will collapse if yeah. you mix repetition and talent to knowledge that's when you're flexible adaptable resilient and that's when nothing can hurt you because you know what's going to happen and you know that you've learned from it so the basis to say <clears throat> my career taught me that resilience was going to be a key factor for me that i needed to learn from it so much that i need to change my mindset in terms of assessing errors failure and <clears throat> and, and and just underperforming but as a whole, sport is pretty good in terms of that because that's something that I was really impressed by um, or shocked by when I joined um, my executive MBA in Oxford is the fact that some extremely high achievers around me, amazingly smart people, have never experienced failure, ever. And for me, losing was another, was, 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 wasn't a problem. As long as, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to tell you Lose a thousand times because, you know, then you'll become better. I'm trying to say, do your absolute best. But if you do lose, if you do underperform, take it as a learning opportunity because they will be the best opportunity. All the teams always said, oh, this team is experienced. Experience is not winning a thousand times. Experience mm -hmm. is getting back up a thousand times. That is real experience. Experience is, is dealing with a crappy situation with your whole collective and finding the solution together. That is true experience. And so when I got, <clears throat> with all those mixed feelings that I had in me about 
how can I apply my sporting mentality into the world of sport and to the corporate world, comes across my strategy professor at Oxford called Thomas Powell, who is an absolutely extraordinary professor, and who explained to us his idea, because I think it's his own creation mm-hmm. of, of strategic resilience. And basically his way of describing it is, is to say that if, if a disruptive event can potentially ruin or disturb so much your organization that it can make it crumble, then it's not an organizational risk. It's not um, an operational risk. It's not just the, the, the ceiling falling on your head. It is a strategic risk. It is a strategic problem. And his whole idea was to, to, to then, obviously because of the, the COVID-19 world pandemic at the moment, it was about assessing risk. He was talking about foreseeable risk. Is it foreseeable, unforeseeable, or in the middle, partially foreseeable? And that really, really hit me of how much you're trying to shift from unforeseeable will be an alien invasion and meteorites falling on our heads. The rest, the rest is pretty much all foreseeable if you have a proper strategic mind. If you try to look for those problems, not to doom yourself, <laughs> not to say that everything's dark and nothing's ever going to work, but just to know. And, and that's why also the Kiana's framework I adored when, when I, you confronted me to this, Don. You didn't talk about mistakes, you're talking about blind spots. Mm-hmm. It's not about having strengths or not. It's about being aware of having strengths or not. It's about understanding what's going on around you. And so this whole idea of strategic resilience, I think is particularly important at the moment. Uh, it's particularly spot on and will be globally, it's, it's quite extraordinary, will be globally um, an effect and a differentiator from companies who will come out strong out of a, t- a complicated situation, a complicated last two years, and those who will just crumble inside. Yeah. I'm really interested in what you said about some of your colleagues and the extraordinary people that no doubt are are doing that course. Do you think it's more difficult, perhaps, to engage in strategic resilience if you've never experienced failure yourself? Absolutely. It seems to me that that is a potential blind spot if your entire career has been one success after another in terms of your moving forwards. But it's, it's like um, I had this conversation. So basically, we're a 73 cohort um, member in, in, in Oxford. There's about 10 uh, veterans whose stories and, and understanding of resilience is mind-blowing, right? It's, um, uh, we always get compared to gladiators for rugby players and, and every single time. I, I can't even compare to that, right? It's just uh, we pretended that like we were putting our bodies on the line. They actually did it, right? We were playing with toys. They were physically living life. So the, the, the knowledge and stuff and, and the, the exchange that I can have is extremely rich and extremely powerful. Um, and that's also the reason why this executive MBA is so good. It's the mix of people, the diversity, you know, the mix of, of experiences. Of, of the, and there's 25 countries represented, you know, so it, it really is it's quite extraordinary. But <clears throat> they were always asking me about when we do a leadership course or marketing course or all that about the mindset of the sportsman and how you need to convince yourself that you're the best and look at the confidence that just shines out of these guys look at those boxers 
look at um, Tyson Fury. It's like, yes, never ever forget. This is communication. This is marketing. The best sportsmen in the world will know how to handle these things and press a button when needed. But inside, they are absolutely constantly dealing with their demons of finding the, the, the little details that will make them better, finding their own flaws, their own problems, their own issues, their own the, the walls that they're going to hit um, to, to, to constantly get better. They are not, maybe they can say that untouchable, unbeatable, you know, and that they can reach for the stars and they can touch the walk on the sun. But inside, they are dealing with their own demons and, and with it. And that's why it's so impactful and so powerful. Those extraordinary humans that have got fantastic brains, uh, that obviously have over-succeeded already, want to succeed even more uh, through this, this executive MBA, need to understand that there's the right balance between confidence and knowledge of yourself. Mm. And funnily enough, if you invest in resilience and looking for your flaws, without doing anything, your confidence will rise. It's yeah. just a, a natural phenomenon. And so I, I, I totally agree with you. The one lesson of sports and veterans and stuff is changing your mindset in the way that you assess failure. Changing your mindset in the way that you assess collective failure. That's even, even stronger because individual failure, individual lack of performance, you can just look at yourself, blame yourself for the world and stuff. But collectively, you need every, you need the culture and the values and the, 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 the way that things are done internally, so tight, so crystal clear and so collective so that no blame in, is, is shifted individually. Yeah. And that is the, 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 that is the strategic resilience bit. It's almost collective resilience that I really like. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm really interested in the collective piece, obviously playing in team sports as you've done and, and you're, you're, you're now, you know, working with some businesses and looking at, at them. What, what lessons or perhaps even examples can you think of from your sporting career of how resilience was improved by having different people? And I'm, I'm not just, uh, you know, the people as part of a team that make that those mix of characters, those mo mix of abilities, mix of approaches, rather than just everybody being programmed and being uniform. Um, it, 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 it strikes me in a way France benefits and and suffers from that at one and the same time as a rugby team sometimes. But but t tell us about how that works and the advantages that come from that and how you, you capitalise upon that. So maybe one thing we should have mentioned, Don, is the reason why resilience is so important to me is that I played, like I said, for the last 10 years in Clermont-Ferrand. And, and, and ISM Clermont-Auvergne is an extraordinary club, an extraordinary institution of European rugby. Unfortunately, it's got a pretty bad record at losing finals. We've won some titles, don't get me wrong, but I think we, we won probably 15% of the finals that we competed in. So we should have had, you know, a, um, a, not, even, not even a room, sort of a whole airport full of trophies, but we've got just a small little cupboard. And <clears throat> the good example is that in... They were, we were dragging a reputation of not being able to commit and convert opportunities in the final. And when we reach it in 2017, there's this super young kid in our team called Damien Penaud, who's now the winger for the French team and an absolutely gifted player whose father was already a big French uh, international uh, cap legend. And he is the most naturally gifted athlete I think I've ever seen. Um, he is um, 
not loose, but light-minded, happy as Larry, zero responsibility on, on, his, on, on, his, on his shoulders. Probably the least leader sort of type of guy that you can have in your team. But his role is to have fun, to play to his best, to the best of his ability, and to seize opportunities when they come across. And the final 2017 against Toulon, after five minutes of the game, we defended for about a whole, for people who don't know rugby, let's just say there was a defensive session that was very, very, very long, four minutes. And we end up get, getting the ball back close to our line. There's 14, so there's 15 players on the rugby team. There's 14 players. Once Damien Pono gets that ball back because he got ripped out of a ruck, who yell at him, kick it out, kick it out. Everybody's screaming at him. But Damien, who does not have the weight of the world because he's 19 at the time, he doesn't care about the lost finals. He didn't lose them. He doesn't care about the pressure of the game. He's 19. He doesn't care about taking the decision. He just wants to play rugby. He doesn't care about strategy. He just wants to run with the ball. That's just what he likes to do. And he starts stepping one guy and another guy. And he ends up setting up a 70-meter try for the other winger, Alevi Piraka. And we end up winning the game by three points different. If Damien Penault did not listen to us, we would have never won the game, ever. If Damien Penault listened to me, 15 years of professional rugby at the time, I was vice-captain, and I, I helped him a lot because I actually played with his father. So we were pretty close. I was trying to help him and stuff. If he actually listened to, <laughs> to most of what I said, we would have not won it. So it's a perfect example of saying, and, and, and rugby, I think, is, is so important for that, and that's why I really click with it. <clears throat> the definition of rugby is that similar... Um, not attributes, but similar, similar, similar body shapes, similar personalities, similar backgrounds, similar people will not make the best team. You can't. We mm. physically need the strong guys. We physically need the tall guys. We physically need the small, angry guy who will basically <laughs> tell all those big guys to, to, to tell them what to do. We need the really, really, really fast guys like Damien Pono who run like lightning because they're very, very scared. And, and all the <laughs> other ones. You know, so we need that mix. And that's the reason why from when I started 14 years old, the, the, the bravest um, rugby player could have been the weakest. But if he showed the commitment to throw himself in the legs of the biggest guy in the team, then I'm like, hang on, I'm big. If he does that, how am I not doing 10 times as well as him? And that was, that's what, what I meant earlier. Maybe I should have put a bit more detail and, and, and explained a bit better. What I meant about different hierarchy of braveness and courage. Yeah. It's not who speaks the loudest. It's not who, who, the one who tells everybody else what to do. It's how do you commit with what you, God has given you on the pitch. Mm. And so diversity in rugby is not just an ideology. It's not just um, a communication status. It's an absolute necessity for performance. It's a differentiator for performance. Mm. That, that's, that's actually... Um... So many, so many businesses are exploring the whole notion of diversity. I've never thought of rugby as actually being a metaphor for that diversity and how you maximise upon that that capacity to allow that to happen. So, so tell me, let, what what can what can an organisation do then to build its strategic resilience? I think we've identified that it's a really important thing. How do we go about it? Or let's say, you know, how would you engage with an organisation? to actually support them to develop and build their strategic resilience? 
So the, the number one thing is that strategic resilience is is down to leadership. So it's top it's top to bottom. It's not going to start from the ground to go back up. Um, and if you want to put it in in terms, but I'm sure it's really applicable to corporate to the corporate world. In a sporting team, it would be the, the way that collectively coaches will assess day-to-day failure. How do you expect players to look for their mistakes if the way that you get assessed by performing or underperforming in a small way uh, on a weekly basis or on a daily basis is not done in, a, in, 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 a, in the right environment with the right mindset and especially with the right outcome? There's You need to d- define not just on intuition, defined with precision. What do you consider success or not? What is considered a mistake or not? And how do you go about it? Saracens, who were a former, an English rugby club, who were doing really, really well in the last couple of years, even though now they're back in the championship, um, always had this ethos that they were saying, you will always be forgiven for a technical mistake. You will never be forgiven for an uh, an effort mistake. So a lack of technique or a lack of effort is two completely different errors. So the boys were, as long as they give their absolute 150%, will absolutely never be um, told off or you know looked down upon for making an error. Yeah. I mean that 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 I suppose that effort piece connects to the idea of, and I and I do know Saracens really held those values really really clear. So the, I suppose the importance of an organ. What they're what you're suggesting there is that, and I really like this idea, and it probably goes counter to what some other people would suggest that actually building resilience from the top down, if if it needs the tone needs to be set by the Absolutely. leadership in the organisation. But but what you're suggesting there, and I would agree with that, if we take effort as being a value uh, and, and recognising that that's the fundamental in there, uh, tell me about, you know, um, what looking back perhaps and at some of your experiences, where perhaps has has that, that focus on values not been present? That if it had been, it might have had an impact upon strategic resilience. Can you think of an example where that has been been the case, where the, the focus, if you like, has just been on the technical as opposed to being on pulling people together around about a set of common values, which I think we're starting to suggest is actually critical to building strategic resilience? Absolutely. The, the one thing that I should flag, which which is the reason why not everybody does it, because it's pretty hard, is the unforgiving, unforgiving sort of side to strategic resilience. It's the, the, the it's like, um, like I said to you a few times, what I'm looking for in a, in a manager. If if I've got an English teacher who comes in and you know makes a spelling mistake on the board on the first day, the trust is is broken. So the same way with strategic resilience, will not tolerate any movement from its core identification of how we're going to assess failure. We, you need to live and own up to it on a day-to-day basis, constantly, relentlessly, without ever moving. So, for instance, in, in 2017, when we win that title and we put our bodies on the line and we set a clear li- li- um, line in the sand of saying, team first, whatever you do needs to be team first. 
And a, a, a lack of effort is not the same thing of, as a technical error. You need to be, our big statement was, let's be the best in the world at what requires absolutely zero talent. Mm. So if you look at a rugby pitch and you're going to see the guy running for 50 meters and scoring a try, look at what happened before. So it's the way that you also praise what happened before. And mm. towards the end of that season, we were barely showing the tries. Mm. at a video report on a Monday morning. We were only showing the hard graft that led to the opportunity for this young guy to basically, um, you know, then shine and, and convert this opportunity into a try for the, for the team. But post that 2017 uh, season, there was, <clears throat> guys were starting to be picked on what they have done before, not so much on what they were doing at the time. And so as I said to you, that's one of the examples of, of, of being ruthless and relentless with, with sticking tight to your core values and ideas. And as soon as they did that, everything else crumbled. Yeah. Without touching anything else, if you, if you touch the, the legitimacy of, of the values and of the strategic resilience, it unfortunately crumbles. And that's why it needs to come from leadership, because yeah. leadership are the ones who <clears throat> can take the time and effort and have got the knowledge to implement and to lead by example on a day-to-day basis. What I, what I find fascinating is that you've gone from the world of sport, you're doing your, your MBA um, in Oxford, uh, you're working with Professor Powell, and then we are exploring this, you and, and Rory Lawson particularly, exploring Kiana's sport and, and taking some of this back into the world of, of professional sport. Can you, can you explain to me what you hope to achieve through Kiana's sport and 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 the place that strategic resilience, because I know we've talked about this, how you hope to be able to support professional um, sports, not just rugby in this particular area. Absolutely. Um, I think it's, it's, it's important, well, you and I had this conversation, but maybe for people to understand the fact that the bridges between sport and the corporate world in terms of leadership and management and behavior and team motivation have always been there. They've always tried to be built. And I've, I've already been sort of involved in different types of organizations who try to do this. But I, and I, and I said this to you, Don, I, I question the legitimacy of the lessons that I can bring from the world of sports to the corporate world, just because I thought half of it or 80% of it was marketing and communication. There wasn't actually a lot of content uh, under it. There's not a, a solid piece of evidence and core framework that really actually made it impactful sustainable and and really genuine so i questioned the the, the genuine side of it and it's not to, to praise kianas in particular but i said to you a million times that i was really for one i'm very impressed with actually the lessons that i brought to the sporting world i tested them with my oxford cohort and actually saw the impact and the relevance that they had was spot on. So that, that reassured me. Um, disappointing, we're disappointed with the leadership courses that I, that I came across in terms of an analysis that would make me spin on, on myself, but not go anywhere. Mm. Um, and then confronted to the Kiana's framework, which I thought was impactful, sustainable, with a real framework that uh, would allow me to have, allow us, but allow me, to have a, um, a real genuine impact on organizations. So a big believer that the mix of the sport plus the Kiana's framework 
can be extraordinary in the corporate world. But also, as soon as I started speaking to Rory, I said, for the, like I said to you, for the last 10 years in Clamoutha, I was part of the leadership squad. Wow, I wish I had a program like this back in Clamoutha. That, that was our, our initial reaction. Um, just imagine the sporting world is a trading floor. It's nonstop. People never have two seconds to, to press pause because the moment that you press pause, you feel that your opponent is, is doing more than you. It's a rush to the line from start to finish for years and years on. Uh, just look at a, a manager's face as soon as they win on a Saturday at eight o'clock. They congratulate themselves for about five minutes. At six past eight, they're already thinking of the week after. The pressure is nonstop. It's a trading floor. And so being able to, to allow Basically, doing it in-house is impossible. That's, that's the long story short. Um, being able to assess with less intuition, but with more analytic tools, something so personal and so complicated and so individual as leadership is very complex. And that's why I think the Kiana's Frameworks will, is, is giving me the tools to go deeper with more precision, with less intuition and more analytic precision um, into the analysis of the leadership behaviors. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think we're we're exceptionally excited by this, and I think the parallels between professional sport and and the corporate world are are enormous. But I I like the fact that you and Rory are flipping between those two worlds, and and as we progress, I think if you like the strategic resilience of yourselves and of Kianis and the impact that we can make on other organizations going to be critical. And um, just just let just as we start start to, to wind up here just now in terms of of your own future, in terms of seeing your own strategic resilience, how do you see that that growing in, in yourself moving forwards in terms of your own career? Well there's an element of strategic resilience that we didn't really speak about. Is is it's the the perpetuous sort of syndrome of of strategic resilience. It's not just um, it's just not just something that we, you can you know frame it for a couple of days, couple of weeks, and it's sorted. It's a mindset. It 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 embodies you know I'm inhabited by it, and it's it's also a so it's it's a it's launching myself into this continuous cycle of um, you know perpetually looking to to improve, looking how to help others to improve, looking to assess different and, and to foresee potential problems. So this is something that I want to apply to absolutely everything that I do in my life on a personal basis or, or professional basis. So I, I, I think the, um, I need to, to, to answer your question, I need to finish my MBA by the end of the year to be legit. So legitimacy is not just a, a fake humility that I have, is that the same way that I didn't just compete in the world of sports by going jogging two or three times a week. I don't believe that the corporate world, you can do it justice by saying, I I've played professional sport. I know what the corporate world is. You there's also a legitimacy and a respect side to say, if I want to seriously stand up to organizations and actually tell them that I know what they're talking about, I must put myself through the learning curve. So mm -hmm. I've done a little bit of personal experience in terms of entrepreneurship. That's one thing. But I really wanted to go through this MBA to learn, to humble myself and to say, and to reopen the, 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 my width of vision of the world. Because professional sports is extraordinary, but I really felt that I was particularly narrow-minded for 16 years. 
well, don't tell that to my wife, you know, because she would agree <laughs> straight away. But it's, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's that re- eye-opener sort of moment that I really like um, in, in that. And so once I finish this, once I've, I feel legitimate in both my comprehension of, of my learnings of the, of the sporting world and also my, my deeper comprehension of the corporate world, um, my, my goal is to be able to, to deliver on both sides quality, sustainable, deep impact, legitimate content and framework. Yeah. Well, this idea of the continuous cycle, you know, we've not known each other that long, but I think it's what I see. It's your natural curiosity. Um, you're, you're questioning your, your, your genuine humility. And I think people um, are really enjoying that perspective when they hear you on the, um, you know, doing your, your sports pieces. But, but I would want to conclude with, I asked you a few um, weeks ago what your mission was, uh, what your mission would be in terms of, of support others. And uh, I'm going to just, I've got it written down here because it really stuck with me. Better people make better leaders. Let's build a legacy. Can I just ask you just to conclude with just what that means to you and in a sense, how it connects with what we've been talking about today. Better people make better leaders. Let's build a legacy. So <clears throat> there's there, there's more than one thing. Um, like I said to you, there was a, there was a bit of shift and a learning curve from, from my professional rugby career where I realized that the way that I would be a better player is by actually being a better person, as in being a better teammate, as in being a better, just a better human being by, by being curious about doing other things and putting rugby where it is. Rugby was my happy, positive uh, place and, and, and nothing else. It was my, my, my golden era, but, but that, that's, that's all it was. So I, I, I really deeply do, feel, like I said to you from the start, I like to connect people on the deep emotional and, and, and human side because I'm a huge believer in, in, into the power of, of human beings. I'm a huge believer into the power of human hearts. And when you combine this for 16 years of having 15 people, not just the one or two, I have measured and felt in my, in my fingertips of what it feels like when everybody wants to perform and everybody feels inhabited by, by a, a global performance. This feeling is second to none. You, we are unbeatable machines. It's not just words of saying, you know, alone I'm going to go fast, but together we're going to go far. It really is this incredible motion of feeling a collective unit work performing together. And who can tell you the limits of your human, of your, of your body possi- uh, possibilities? Who can tell you how far your, your, your head can get you? Who can tell you how far your heart can get you? How, how fast will you run to save somebody? How long would you, you, would, you, would you climb up, you know, to help your family? Just those, those limits are, have been shattered by, by my experience of world of sport. And that's why I am absolutely deeply in love with common heart and, 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 and goal to reach global performance and to be a collective performance. And so it really is embodied in me that in the collective world, in the sporting world or the corporate, corporate world, Better people will make better leaders. 
And this, it will be a key differentiator, most probably because of the pandemic also. I think I'm trying to, 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 to repeat this to everybody that I see. <clears throat> Competitive advantage will, can come from within. Mm. Competitive mm. advantages can be just, you know, people, happiness, culture, values, things that you sometimes used to be put on the board because you need to tick a box. But actually, now they're going to be the differentiator between who makes it and who doesn't. Because we're all human beings, we're all connected, and the one extraordinary thing that we have is our brain and our heart. So I'm I'm hugely motivated about helping people, connecting on a deeper level, emotionally engaged people will always do better, will always feel better, and that will radiate to others. And and then let's build legacies, because I'm very, very young. <laughs> and I, the one thing that I sort of get out of this is that People were asking me at the end of my career, how do you want to be remembered? And to be honest, I just wanted to remember that somebody as a good person who who did well, but most importantly, helped others along the way. And so that was my idea of, of, of building building a legacy. Um, and then once the Kiana's sort of mission arrived and it was changing the world through wise leadership, I was like, listen, that, that's a fit, right? Benjamin. That has been absolutely wonderful and a real privilege to listen to you. And uh, I, I'm sure many, many people will enjoy listening to this. So thanks so much for joining us today and all the best to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>